Listener Production. This episode contains themes that some listeners may find distressing. If it does, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Kids Helpline on 1800 55 1800. Hi, I'm Rosie Waterland. This is Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. You will try to fit in at a very exclusive private boarding school and fail spectacularly. Penis fantasies. When I was at the college, I started having a lot of penis fantasies. I thought about penises all the freaking time. I was a teen possessed, but with only two penises in particular, the no doubt tiny dicks of my bullies, Wayne and Keith. In a strange place, with no way to stop these two boys from torturing me, I began to have elaborate fantasies about horrible accidents in which their dicks would be destroyed. If you'd caught me daydreaming in class during that time, with a faraway look in my eyes and a peaceful smile on my face, it was probably because I was imagining the sounds of Wayne's screams after a blender fell on his pain and switched on. I often thought about Keith getting dick leprosy and having crusty bits of foreskin fall onto the floor through his pants while on stage in front of the whole school. It may sound extreme, may, but I spent three years being verbally hunted by those boys and picturing the demise of their, again, no doubt tiny, dicks was often the only thing that got me through the day. That was life at one of the best schools in the country. That was the college. I should have known I was out of place the minute I was inundated with a sea of pastel polo shirts. Polo shirts, high ponytails and rugby jerseys. It was like stepping into a photo shoot for a yacht catalogue, except I was the waitress serving the model's coffee and I kept accidentally getting in the shot. I had very little idea what going to a private boarding school actually involved, besides rich kids and fancy blazers, and when I first arrived at the college, I was still convinced it was going to change my life. I had no idea I'd leave so broken that I'd try to kill myself within just a few months, that those damn polo shirts would defeat me in the end. After escaping the clutches of the crazy lesbian, which I suppose could describe my mum or her girlfriend at that stage, I was sent to live with my uncle Ben, who enrolled me in boarding school within a few weeks. I get that most people would consider that to be some kind of punishment, but I was over the damn moon. I had always been the smart one, the one going places, the one who spent time transcribing sitcoms instead of going to parties, and I felt like I was finally being recognised for it. I may not have ever been as cool as my sister or 95% of kids my age, but at least now I was getting a fancy school for my fancy brain. And given I was about to enter year 10, I also couldn't believe that for the first time in my life, I was going to spend the next three years living in one place. I wouldn't have to move house depending on mum's boyfriends or stay in sperm-coated caravans or throw all my stuff into boxes in under an hour. I was staying put for three whole years, and at a snooty school on Sydney's affluent North Shore, no less. The freckle-faced dweeb from Smurf Village had made it, bitches. I was sure I was going to become best friends with some blue-blood girl called Bitsy Carrington Hastings III, who was related to the Kennedys and spent her summers sailing and her winters skiing. Her family would consider me a Dickensian novelty, and eventually I would become their ward, marry Bitsy's brother and wear boat shoes and polo shirts forever and ever. I basically thought boarding school was going to be like living in a movie version of a Kennedy family photo. And parts of it were not far off. I was floored when I first saw the campus. I may have been to about 17 schools by that point, but they had all been of the public or public with Jesus variety, so I had no clue that private schools like the college actually existed outside of TV. There's no delicate way to put this, 
the college was fucking insane. The campus was so big, it was filled with streets that had actual street names. There was an aquatic centre, a TV studio, two theatres, an amphitheatre, an art centre, an art gallery, with fully equipped photographic studio. About ten different sporting ovals that I didn't really understand the difference between. A music centre, a massive gym, computer labs with Macs as far as the eye could see. A library with fancy electric doors and elevators because it had three freaking levels. At my previous high school, there was one computer in the library connected to dial-up internet, and if you were lucky enough to book it for a 20-minute slot, that was never enough time to download even three quarters of that picture of the Backstreet Boys you wanted. You would just sit there, watching the image come in bar by torturous bar, and just as it was about to reveal Nick Carter's glorious face, a scary kid from Penrith would tell you to get the fuck up because it was her turn. When my uncle took me shopping for my uniform at a special store on campus that sold only the uniform, because that's a thing at rich schools apparently, everything I needed just to get dressed every day cost $2,000. I nearly fell over. I was fairly certain that $2,000 was more than my mum had paid for my entire education up until that point. I had literally come from a school where some classrooms didn't have enough chairs to a school that had an aquatic centre and TV studio. I was in an alternate universe, the fabric of which was money and blazers. The college had boarders and day students, so the boarding houses were tucked away in their own area. Girls were accepted to the school only from year 10 onwards, so we had one boarding house, while the boys in year 7 to 12 had about three or four. There was a huge dining hall where we all had meals together, and I remember thinking on the first night that it kind of reminded me of being in rehab, but that I should probably keep that little tidbit to myself. There were common areas where we could watch TV and hang out, not to mention the ridiculous grounds that were pretty much ours to roam. I loved it. I was in actual heaven. I'd never experienced so much consistency in my entire life. I thrived on the routine and loved that I always knew dinner was going to be at 5.30 and bedtime at 10pm. I loved that someone came and knocked on my door and woke me up at 7.15 every day. I loved that I had classes to go to and places to be and everything was organised and nothing ever felt uncertain. For about two weeks, I was so, so happy. I even started begging my uncle to buy me a polo shirt. Then the bullying started. As it turns out, the college was filled with a lot of very nice facilities, but it wasn't filled with a lot of very nice kids. In fact, of all the schools I had attended in my life, the college, although supposedly the best of the best, was the only one filled with kids who were outright cruel to me just for the sake of it. I had never really worried about starting over somewhere new before. I'd been forced to be a chameleon my entire life, adapting to different situations and people and friends as they came my way, but nothing could have prepared me for that preppy hell on the North Shore. It was just so different from anything I had ever experienced and I couldn't work out how to adapt. My hair was wrong, my clothes were tacky, I used a $3 lip smacker while the other girls were smothering their lips in $40 Longcom Juicy Tubes. I used Impulse while they sprayed their bodies with Chanel. I had never been the cool girl, but I had always been able to at least find a place to slot into, a little corner where nobody would bother me. But at the college, it was like everywhere and everyone were out of my league. I couldn't even find a blue blood girl called Bitsy to be my friend. I was just too different and it paralysed me. I was so shy that I could barely talk to some people and I really struggled with the boys. Since growing older, I'd never been friends with any boys, never had any brothers, and now I was living across a very manicured lawn from about 75 guys. That, combined with the fact that everything I knew about fashion and hair and pop culture and just being a teenager was apparently wrong, meant I had no freaking idea how to behave. 
I was a petrified former Hauso kid, and like a group of very well-dressed sharks, the private school kids could smell my fear from a mile away. Once the taunts began, they escalated pretty quickly. Keith and Wayne took charge of the mission to break me, and they're the reason I cried myself to sleep for three years, where I would then dream about them losing their penises in a myriad of sickening and disturbing ways. They were both boarders and both jocks. They played rugby and cricket, which at North Shore private schools are basically considered religions. The boys who were good at them are treated like gods, and Keith and Wayne had decided I would be their sacrifice. It was Keith who kicked things off, and to be honest, I was a little confused when it happened. I had never really been bullied before, and it took me a minute to process what was going on. I was walking across a courtyard when all of a sudden I heard a boy's voice yell, Yuck! from one of the surrounding windows. I looked around, confused, thinking that surely that ridiculously intelligent barb wasn't aimed at me. But there was no one else around, and the yeller can't have been expressing his distaste at the courtyard since it was filled with the kind of gorgeous gardens that can only come from charging 50 grand a year per kid. I kept walking, slightly perplexed and just wanting to get the hell out of there. Then, just in case I hadn't got the message, the vocal assassin took aim again. Hey, Rosie! Yuck! Scab face! Ah, scab face. That one was definitely aimed at me. I'd started getting acne not long before I started at the college, a cruel gift from the universe since my freckles had finally faded and I was actually growing into my looks. A group of boys erupted into laughter, and I looked up to see Keith staring down at me with the satisfied smile of someone who had just hit the bullseye of a target. I was hunted from that point on. No matter where I went, there was always a vocal assassin waiting in the wings, and their ammunition never really changed. It was always yuck or scab face or the particularly well-thought-out Rosie's gross. When Keith, who had proudly taken the lead in shaping my misery up until that point, left the boarding house to become a day boy, he passed the baton on to Wayne. I always wondered whether there was an official changeover ceremony. Was I bequeathed to Wayne like a gift? Did Keith, sad to think he was leaving his opportunity to torture behind, decide that he couldn't let it go to waste? I'd say it probably had more to do with the fact that Keith was a sporting hero and Wayne wanted to follow his lead by impressing him. I had a kitten once who used to kill mice and then line them up proudly next to my bed, desperate for my approval. And I think in my bullying situation, Wayne was the kitten and Keith was his owner. Oh, and they both had deformed ball sacks. The problem with Wayne was he had an actual sadistic mean streak. Keith was just a sports bogan who had hunted me as a hobby for laughs. With Wayne, it seemed to go deeper than that. He came after me with a vengeance and seemed to take real pleasure in hurting me. And all the boys followed his lead, either by participating or being too scared to talk to me, lest they also become a target. The vocal assassinations continued. I'd be laughed at as I walked by. I'd be taunted in the dining hall, on the way to class, in the library. I'd be playing sport and he'd come and watch on the sidelines just so he could yell things at me. I started to become incredibly socially anxious. I was scared to walk to class. I was scared to walk to the shops. I was always convinced Wayne or one of his minions would be just around the next corner. I was being hunted and it was making me a shell of a person. It was exhausting. I became one of those weird kids who pretend to be sick all the time so they can go to the nurse. And of course, at the college, going to the nurse meant going to a fully equipped six-bed clinic with television, a private bathroom and a cupboard filled with drugs. I quickly figured out where the vitamin C was and used that as my excuse to visit, usually at recess or lunch when I was too scared to go outside. I invented all kind of ailments that could only be cured with that little orange-flavoured tablet. Sister Jones, the nurse, took pity on me and often let me use the clinic as a sanctuary. 
but I hated that I needed a sanctuary in a place that was meant to be my sanctuary in the first place. I started to complain about Wayne from pretty early on. The college was very proud of its no-tolerance bullying stance and had a very patronising no-put-down sign hanging in every classroom. I figured if I said something, Wayne would be punished and the bullying would stop. The first time I went to the boys' boarding master and told him what was going on, he just laughed and said, "'Oh, mate, he probably just has a crush on you.'" I must have stared back at him with a look that sat somewhere between are you fucking serious and please step back before I punch your face because he promised he would look into it. A few days later, someone had taken the no put down sign in one of the boarders' classrooms and written except scab face underneath it. I went back to the boys' boarding master who said I couldn't prove it was about me and if it was, again, Wayne is a nice boy who probably just has a crush on you. Have you tried talking to him? Maybe he just doesn't know you well enough because you haven't talked to him very much. I was basically being told that Wayne was bullying me because one, he had a crush on me or two, I was shy and hadn't talked to him enough. Either way, the onus was on me to change my behaviour to make him stop bullying me rather than on him to just stop fucking bullying me. I was furious, and it lit enough of a fire in my belly that I decided I would not put up with how I was being treated. I was determined not to let Wayne get away with what he was doing to me. I also continued to fantasise about what horrible Wayne-related penis accidents could happen. I started to complain every time Wayne or one of his hunting party did something to me, however small. If the college maintained they had a no-tolerance bullying policy, I wanted to put that to the test. But again and again, I was ignored. Told he was just a hormonal boy. Told I should just try and have fun with the joke. Told to accept that it was just his sense of humour. Told to try and open up around him a bit more. He just never seemed to get punished. At one point, when his parents were at school for parent-teacher interviews, the boy's boarding master told me that he'd had a chat to them about Wayne's behaviour. They were very cranky, Rosie, he said. Things should be fine now. I couldn't believe he just used the words very cranky. If I had a son and his teacher told me the kinds of things Wayne had been doing, the words I'd use would be fucking ashamed. When I was told they were very cranky, I immediately knew they had no idea how bad things were. After that conversation, obviously, things got worse. Nothing fuels a bully more than getting dobbed on but not actually being held accountable. The more I reacted, the worse things got, and I refused to accept the notion that my trying to force the school to punish him was just making things worse. I was constantly told not to provoke him by going to teachers about his behaviour, but I just couldn't accept that I was provoking him into being an asshole by trying to protect myself. He was an asshole because he was an asshole. I successfully lobbied to keep the boys out of the common area in the girls' boarding house, just so there could be one place on campus where I could be sure I wouldn't have to face him. Given I was already a fragile social standing, my changing the rules so that a bunch of hormonal teens couldn't watch TV together was hardly a smart idea, but I just wanted to be able to walk into one room and not worry about being abused or laughed at on the other side of the door. But time and time again, I would walk into the common area to find him sitting there, often with the teacher in charge talking and laughing with him. I felt like I was losing my mind. This boy was torturing me on a daily basis and I wasn't quiet about it. I reported him, I talked to teachers, I stood my ground, and still nothing was done. I was just treated like I was being a spoil sport and Wayne continued to laugh in the face of the college's no-tolerance bullying policy. It's amazing what a boy who's good with a football can get away with. But then came a ray of hope. The school counsellor, whom I started visiting just to get out of class, said that he was going to give Wayne an official warning. 
This meant anything he did after the warning would need to be met with official punishment. There wouldn't be any more of these chats with teachers. Something real was actually going to be done. I was so relieved that someone was finally listening to me. I was at the end of my second year at the college and someone finally seemed to agree that I didn't deserve to be harassed on a daily basis. Maybe I thought if Wayne gets expelled, year 12 will end up being okay. I decided to wait for Wayne to do something particularly shitty before I reported it to the counsellor. I wanted to make sure that whatever he got in trouble for after his official warning, it was going to be worth it. It only took two weeks for him to do something at the spectacular level of cruelty I had been waiting for, and it was probably, up until that point, one of the most humiliating moments of my life, obviously not including the worrying amount of pants shitting I had done as a child. It happened while I was on stage, performing in a college production of Lord of the Flies. I was the student director and had been tasked with playing a very minor role of the officer who turns up on the island in the last 30 seconds and finds the boys have turned feral. I hadn't really wanted to play the role, but we needed someone and there were only about five lines of dialogue. By the end of the play, the young characters in Lord of the Flies have become obsessed with the idea that there is a scary beast on the island trying to eat them all. So when they hear the officer rummaging through the bushes, they mistake it for the monster and start yelling, the beast, the beast. Then the officer comes on stage, they realise it's an adult person, and they all get in big shit for killing each other and losing their shoes. I mainly just had to look horrified and shocked at finding a bunch of shoeless kids about to kill each other. Not a huge stretch for me, given my time at Smurf Village. Since the college was the college, of course the play was set on a massive outdoor soundstage, complete with a huge actual plane wreckage that we bought from a junkyard. Because what's a budget? I had a great time doing that play. The cast was only boys in years seven to nine, and I liked that I didn't have to worry about being bullied by them. They were just sweet, nice kids who thought I was a drama genius and it was simple and nobody bothered me. We decided that I would dramatically walk down through the audience and as all the boys pointed in my direction, screaming and terrified that I was the beast, I would step through lots of dramatic fog onto the stage and reveal myself to be a kick-ass female astronaut. I had a NASA jumpsuit and everything. The show was great for the first two nights. The audience sat on a grassy hill watching the action unfold and it was so incredible to see all the kids get that buzz that only comes from performing on stage. I was on a high for those first two days, finally feeling like I had something at the college that made me forget about Wayne. But on the third night, the night all the boarders came to watch, Wayne decided to remind me he was there. Everything went as it had the first two nights. I came down through the audience and began to emerge through a thick haze of fog onto the stage. The boys did their usual yelling that the beast was coming to get them. The beast, the beast, they yelled as I got closer to them. Then, as I stepped out of the fog and into the spotlight on the soundstage, the usual hush came over the crowd. It's a big moment when the boys realise that an adult has finally found them. There are a few seconds of silence to let the whole thing sink in. It was my job to break the silence, to look at the boys in horror and demand to know why they're all running around with no clothes and with a pig's head. And just as I was about to open my mouth to say my first line, Wayne beat me to it. Yuck, he yelled from the audience. It is a beast. He and his hunting party, sitting somewhere in the darkness of the audience, erupted into laughter. The vocal assassin had just taken a shot at me and 200 people had seen him successfully hit his target. I stood on stage under the spotlight, frozen in humiliation. I locked eyes with the young actor standing across from me. He looked horrified. I stood there for what felt like an eternity, the eyes of 200 people feeling sorry for me burning into my face. Eventually, I managed to blurt out my few lines and rush off stage. I came back out for the curtain call and could hear the word beast being chanted from Wayne's direction along with the crowd's applause. 
It wasn't until I finally made it back to my room that night that I could let the full effect of the assassin's shot take hold. I collapsed onto the ground and had what I only realised years later was my first panic attack. I could only manage to get up off the floor when my despair and humiliation turned to rage. How fucking dare he? Then my rage turned to elation. This was it. Considering he'd been given an official warning, this was the thing that was going to get him kicked out. I may have just been laughed at while literally standing under a spotlight in front of a crowd of people, but it was worth it if it meant I could spend my last year at this school not feeling like I was being hunted every day. I went into action mode. I knew all the boarders had been in the audience that night, so I told the teacher on duty in the boys' boarding house what had happened. That doesn't sound like Wayne, he said, incredulous. Everybody was there, I said, defiant. Everybody heard it. Ask them. So we did. One by one, boarders were pulled into the teacher's office and asked whether Wayne had yelled that I was a beast and burst into hysterical laughter while I was standing on stage in the middle of performing a play. And one by one, they all denied having heard anything. Or if they admitted to having heard something, they said they couldn't be sure who had said it. I'd expected denials from his hunting buddies, but not from the few people I considered my friends. I went to bed devastated, but not without hope. I still had the secret deal I'd arranged with the counsellor. Wayne had been given an official warning about making my life a daily torture, and now he had fucked up. I fell asleep, confident that as of the next day, Wayne would be gone and I'd be free, and I was still holding out hope for that penis accident. When I reported it to the counsellor the next morning, he said, Oh, um, I haven't actually managed to catch up with Wayne yet. I stared at him in disbelief. What? I said, tears welling up in my eyes. What do you mean? You were meant to have done it over two weeks ago. You promised you would be giving him a warning. I know, I'm sorry, he said. I just haven't really had a chance to talk to him yet. What the fuck does that mean? I yelled. You're a fucking teacher. You don't just wait until you bump into him in the fucking hall. You have him brought to your office and you talk to him whenever you fucking want. The counsellor just sat in silence, the look on his face making it obvious he thought I was deranged. And that's probably because I was. I was having relentless fucking fantasies about dicks in blenders, for fuck's sakes. I was losing it, and I thought that it had all been going to end that day. Instead, without the promised official warning, and with no students willing to admit that they'd seen him do it, the whole thing was put down to just another boys-will-be-boys incident. Apparently, it just sounded like someone was trying to be funny and maybe I should just laugh it off. I was defeated. I was done. From that day, I disappeared into a hole. The social anxiety turned into depression, which turned into suicidal thoughts. The toxic butterflies from my childhood came back and sat in the pit of my stomach like a poison I couldn't get rid of. I started skipping class, stopped studying, never handed in homework. I was in detention more often than not. My uncle was becoming increasingly frustrated with my abysmal report cards. I was wasting his money and he was pissed off, but I was too embarrassed to tell him the extent of how bad things were. I was stuck in a preppy nightmare and I hadn't even met one damn person named Bitsy Carrington Hastings III. I felt completely alone. I didn't feel at home at Uncle Ben's with the expensive art and dinner parties and a room that I wasn't allowed to put posters up in. I didn't feel at home at boarding school where I was tortured on a daily basis. And I didn't feel at home when I visited Mum and Rhiannon, who treated me like a North Shore princess who had picked money over them. I didn't fit in anywhere anymore. I spent my last year at the college just trying to survive. I stuck to the couple of friends I had in the day school. I even started dating a boy in my last few weeks there. I finished my final exams and aced them, getting into one of the top universities in the country. But my confidence was decimated. I was a ghost. 
and a ghost can't go to university. A ghost can't make new friends and get a job and speak up in class. A ghost can't live the way everybody else does. I was still convinced I was being hunted everywhere I went. When I heard people laugh in the street, I thought it was about me. If I saw people whispering in university lectures, I thought they were getting ready to attack. Every corner I turned, I expected a verbal assassin to be waiting for me. I had no idea how to socially function anymore and I was exhausted. Fantasizing about deformed ball sacks and elaborate penis accidents no longer helped. I was broken. So, after a month at university, I went to the supermarket and bought a jumbo box of Panadol. The hunters had won. Now I was hunting myself. Oh, what assholes, Mum. It was so bad. Well, I just can't believe that. I get really sad reading that. I just can't believe that he got away with it. Yeah, I know. Well, I can. I mean, I, mean, I remember you'd call me and you'd be beside yourself that he was allowed back into the common room. Mm. And then I'd talk to the teacher and they'd assure me that they'd make sure it wouldn't happen again. And then it, then it would just happen again. Like they just didn't yeah. even care. It's a terrible situation. And just having someone there who did this to you day after day after day. I remember calling you Gosh. one night when um it was a Saturday night, it was weekend, and um they'd let him in to the common room again. And I stayed at school on the weekends because I felt so alone at Uncle Mark's. Like I didn't really want to go there. Mm. So I sort of didn't really it was better to stay at school than to stay at Uncle Mark's, I guess. And then they'd let him into the boarding house and it was like I couldn't even go down and just hang out in the common room of my own house because he was there. And I had, like, demanded that he not be allowed in and um, at that stage quite a few other girls that he was being mean to had come to me privately and, like, said, please don't stop demanding that he can't come in Mm. here because Mm. nobody else was saying anything. And so he wasn't meant to be in there. And then I went down to the common room and he was there and I just was so fucking angry and I couldn't really talk to Uncle Uncle didn't know I was being bullied the whole time. Yeah. I doubt he even knows, he he even knew until he read this book, like if he read it. Um, And so I called you and Mm. I remember you called the boarding uh, mistress and went off at her. Well, I couldn't. And then she was, was so happening again. She like, was so worried. She came up to my room and she apologized and like said she'd asked him to leave. But that's the thing; it makes it worse because she goes into the common room and is like, "Wayne, you have to go." And then everyone's like, "Oh, Rosie said something," and then it just made it worse. Yeah. Yeah, and the other girls, of course, they didn't want to say anything because mm. then they'd be targeted as badly as what. You were. Well, there was another prank that what happened. What kind of person would he have turned into, that, per- that, that person who bullied you like that? What kind of person? I messaged him on Facebook because he just sounds like a fucking monster He'd be yeah. He'd in be, that chapter. He'd probably be bullying other people. Well, yeah, but I thought now. maybe there was something going on, you know. Like, people can't be that cruel, like... I thought maybe there was something going on in his family or maybe someone was bullying him that I didn't know about. And I didn't know how I would work it into the chapter, but I thought I can't write about someone as this much of a monster without at least giving them a chance to yeah, say something. Yeah. And so I met, I found him on Facebook and I messaged him. 
And I just said, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I just said something like, you know, hi, you know who I am. We went to school together. I'm writing a book and there's a chapter about the college in there. And obviously that chapter is going to be a lot about you. And I just said what I just said to you, like, you know, you were really cruel to me and I'm just sort of wondering what the motivation for that was and what happened and whether you were going through anything or, you know, I just was wondering. And then I saw, you know how you can see when someone's read a message. So I saw that he read it within like a minute. Yeah. And so then I was like waiting and it was nighttime. So I fell asleep. And when I woke up in the morning, he had just blocked me on Facebook. <laughs> So, I, so then I just kind of thought, well, fuck you then. Well, I'm <laughs> glad just, he read it. And I just totally wrote the chapter the way it was. Even though he was a, you know, a teenager. I can't believe what those schools are like, Mum. Like, it was freaking nuts, that school. I had no idea schools like that existed. Because, I mean... I went to some shitty public schools, but I also went to some not-so-shitty Catholic schools. Well, yeah, they were preferable, weren't they? But this school was... You came to campus once to see... What did you come to see? Some cadet thing I was in. It's like a city, the school. Like, the TV studio and the aquatic centre and the gym. Yeah, it's like Ravenswood. Ravenswood's like that as well. Oh, because that's where you went. It's like a bloody city. It's everything. Like, Seriously, she whiz. And that's why it makes me kind of angry that this happened because without this happening, I think I would have loved it so much. Like, there were things that I liked. I really liked drama. Like, I did a lot of drama while I was there. I really liked cadets. Even yeah, though cadets yeah. is weird. In hindsight, you, like, run around pretending <laughs> you're in the army and Andrea was writing to the cadets. <laughs> yeah. Cadets is, I don't know. I just liked going camping. And yeah. also none of the boys who bullied me did cadets, so oh, it was good. like a break from it. <laughs> yeah. So I liked cadets. I liked drama. The facilities were fucking incredible. Like, yeah. so I reckon I would have really loved it if it hadn't been for this awful, awful thing. And except when I was a very little kid at St. Anthony's when those girls were mean to me and none of them came to my birthday party, I'd never actually been bullied like this. Like, there's silly bullying when you're a little kid, but this was just cruel. And it wasn't just him, was it? It was the other boy as well. They just took it upon themselves to do this. And I just don't understand how any human being can do that. I I never could work out what was wrong with me, like... I was, like, super thin and pretty at the time. Like, I had acne, which I thought maybe... Because they started calling me scab face because of my acne. But my acne wasn't that bad. Like, it was, I don't know, just kind of worse than maybe usual, but not terrible. So they started calling me scab face, and I thought maybe it was my acne. But then I honestly think it was just because they could tell I was really different. And I was so paralyzed with shyness when I first got there. I was too scared to talk to anyone. I was, I just felt so out of my league. Like everything was so nice and everyone had money and... Yeah, they look, think, they look for weaknesses, don't they? I can't believe they saw it. Like, technically, nobody knew my history. I mean, Uncle was dropping me off at school, like, and he drives, you know, a really nice BMW, and it seemed like... And I lived in this big mansion. Technically, I fit in on the surface level. Like, how did they know that I was different? Like, I 
I n- I've never been able to work out what was wrong with me, like what I did wrong to annoy them. You wouldn't have done anything wrong. Yeah. yeah I know Uncle Mark started getting mad because I just stopped trying. Yeah, at one point you must have picked up, though. Oh, yeah. Well, for, when, for when you did your HSE. Well, yeah, because I'm not an idiot. Like, yeah, I know, but you obviously. No, I mean, like, as in, I knew when to start working again. Like, I just fucking thought, fuck it. Like, at one point, I think I was in detention, like, every weekend well, for, not for, like, doing, a term. Not completing work. Oh, for not in. completing work, for, like, not bothering to go to class, for being late. <laughs> like, <laughs> just, I just, I was just like, fuck this place. Like, I just, mm. I think I was depressed. Like, it's I just terrible gave Terrible that you can't even walk out, you know, into a corridor without him being there. It's just awful. Mm. Like, you were, you were hunted. Yeah. You were hunted. Yeah, I didn't use that word lightly in the book. I, I meant that. I felt hunted all the time. And then... The horrible thing was people not sticking up for you, like your friends. Like I had friends. The girls in the boarding house were my friends. And then I had a few of the nerdy boarding boys who were my friends. Mm. And when stuff happened, they never did or said anything. It was like they were worried that... Yeah, they would be set upon as well. And then, do you know what the awful thing is? There was another big prank in Year 12, not long before school ended... And the girls orchestrated it. On you? Yeah. What? There was this sort of inter-private school church mass at, I think it was at, uh, what's that big church in Hyde Park? Mary's Cathedral? or what's St. Mary's so, yeah. Cathedral. Um, in like a big church like that, like a big fancy church. And all these students from private schools all mm. went. Mm. And, um, you know, I was quite good at drama and I got asked to do like readings and give talks and stuff like, you know, like when student needs to get up and MC something or like I got asked to do stuff like that all the time. And the boarding captain came up to me one day and said, Oh, Rosie, um, here's this reading that the Reverend um, wants you to do at the interschools church service. And I was like, really me? Like, cause I wasn't a prefect or anything. So I thought that was weird. Cause it was only like important students going and he was like, yeah, he says, you know, you're really good at public speaking. He wants you to do this reading. And he handed mm. me this photocopied reading from the Bible with this section highlighted. Mm. And so I was like, oh, okay. And then like an hour later, this other girl who was the girls boarding captain came up to me and she was my friend. Yeah. And she said, oh, did, um, did what's his name give you the reading from the Reverend? I want to make sure you got it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. And then um, the girls all made a big deal out of it. They were like, oh, my God, Rosie, do you know how important this church service is? Like, And because I wasn't a private school person, I didn't really know. I was like, oh, no, is it? And they were like, yeah, in Year 12, it's, like, super big honour to get asked to do a reading at this service. And, like, you know, we're all about to finish high school and it's, like, a big deal. And, and I was like, oh, wow, okay, well, yeah. And so then they were like, you should practice. And so the girls would all get me to practice this reading in front of them. Like, and these girls were my friends. And then on the day of the service, there was a big bus out the front of the school uh, to take all the students who had been invited. Um, And like the girls like 
helped me get dressed and like I had to do like they yeah. like like help me yeah. with my hair and makeup and stuff so I looked nice and like kept getting me to practice. And then even other people like just random day students would come up to me and be like, Oh my god, I heard you're doing a reading at the service. That's amazing. And I was like, Yeah, I guess. Like and so anyway then um I went to go get on the bus mm. and as I was walking towards the bus, the bus left and I was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't, like, I was really confused. I was like, oh my God, I missed the bus and I fully didn't know what to do. And then I turned around and like these girls, like four of them were just standing there, like laughing their heads off at me. Um, and most of the students on the bus saw me as the bus was driving away and they were like, oh, lol, there's no reading. We were just messing with you. <laughs> and, um, oh, no. it was so fucking humiliating. You never told me about that. Because it, it was embarrassing and also because. That it, is terrible. And they were your friends. Yeah, also because this was the girls. Like, this had oh nothing my to do with him. God, that is just awful. And, um, I was so... How could so, they do that? I don't know. I'm crying. Oh, my God. I'm about to cry even talking about it. That's it was so embarrassing. awful. And, um, <gasps> oh, and I was so confused. No. I was like, there was no reason for me not to believe that. Like, but someone they, hands you why, a, a who, read. Who even thought of doing something like that? And like, I don't know. Oh, that's awful. And so, like, I was like, <gasps> someone handed me a photocopied oh, reading. No. Um, said, oh, the reverend wants you to practice this, to do it at the service. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, there was just no reason for me to think it wasn't true. And they'd told so many people, like, clearly they'd orchestrated it to make me believe it was real because so many people were coming up to me, asking me about it and telling me how much of a huge deal it was. And I was like, I wonder oh. who's it. I wonder who thought of this. I know who thought of it. Who? Probably can't say their names, but these two girls who were my actually closest friends in the boarding house. Yes. Called and yeah. They did it. But why? I don't know. And here's the horrible, horrible oh, thing. I was so upset. Yeah. And we were nearly finished year 12. And so oh I was like, God. oh, my God, I just fucking want to get out of oh, here. Jesus. Like, And I was just like, you know what? It's nearly over yeah. anyway. But I did complain about it because I was fucking upset and furious. I complained about it. Mm. And the reverend found out that they had used his name as part of the thing. Like they yeah. sort of pulled him into it. Yeah. And so he got. Every single boarder in year 12, except me, went down to a meeting in the reverend's, like, quarters in his, like, little office area. And it's awkward enough that everyone goes to a meeting about me and I'm not there. But uh, I thought, oh, okay, he's going to get angry at them. Like, they, they won't get in trouble, but he's going to tell them that they're fucking dickheads. When they came back, my friend Maddie, who was one of the only girls who had no idea about it and hadn't been involved, said to me, I said to her, what happened? And she said, Rosie, I don't want to tell you. It's going to upset you. And I said, no, tell me what happened. And she said that the reverend told them that he thought it was really funny. He thought it was a very clever prank. But next time, please don't use my name when doing something like that. Oh. <laughs> Oh, and that was all he said. No. Didn't you babysit for him or something? No. Oh, uh, no. babysat for I ba Boarders often babysat for um, just teachers who, because all the teachers live in houses that That's the school disgusting owns. disgusting that he did that. He said that to yeah. them. Yeah. And so. 
How when could Maddie, they possibly think humiliating someone would be funny in any way? I don't know. And so that's what happened. And I just, when I left the college, um, like when I went to Sydney Uni, I was like just broken. Like I didn't know how to socialise anymore. Oh I was just God. so scared of everyone all the time. And I ended up only lasting at Sydney Uni for like a month because I, I, I just couldn't. It. And it, going to uni was such a big deal for me. Like my whole life, everyone was like, yeah. Rose is going to go to university. I she's going to study something amazing. She's going to be so smart. She's going to do something. And I went to Sydney Uni and I just left after a month. I, yeah, I, I remember so you being in that um, apartment. Yeah. At the uni. I remember going to visit you. And Uncle was just so disappointed and he didn't understand why because he didn't know what had happened like so he didn't know how um upset I was Mm. like by the whole thing and um yeah I like I haven't I'm not friends with any any of them and no wonder I don't even like this is the first time in the podcast I've got really upset I don't even like talking about that place like I don't like talking about it I don't like thinking about it and like yeah I'm not friends with any of them I'm friends with Jackie yeah a couple people from the day school my friend Jackie who was a day school girl and my friend Christian who was a day school boy and um you know I sometimes see Piers who was my first boyfriend from there like that's it it was just I don't get it like and it was meant to be of all the schools I went to like, and I went to all, like, about 20 schools. I can't remember the exact number, but when I count, I sort of get to 20. And that was meant to be the best of all of them. Like, that's the ironic fucked up thing, that it was like, this school cost, you know, for a border, over $50,000 a year. It was meant to be the most incredible, one of the most incredible high school education places in the country. And the kids were just fucking... Awful, just awful, privileged shitheads. Like, I've never met people so nasty. Oh, dear God. Yes. So, yeah, it was... Um, they, they, um, and you got expelled from Ravenswood, didn't nah, you? No, I didn't get expelled from Ravenswood. But didn't you leave and go to a boarding school in yeah, Bathurst? Yeah, I went to a boarding school in Bathurst. I didn't get expelled. Boarding school for naughty girls. No, it wasn't for naughty girls. Ugh. I like talking about it. It's really bad. I mean, if I if if it was around the other way and you were the bully and you were doing something to someone, I would be absolutely horrified. I know. I mean, seriously, their parents have to be bought into it at some stage. And what do their parents think when they find out they have children like that? I just don't think they told him. I would be his... so ashamed if I had a child who behaved like that. I don't think they told his parents terrible. how bad it was because I remember the boarding master pulling me aside and saying, oh, yeah, I talked to his parents at parent-teacher interview. They were very cranky, Rosie, very cranky. He's not going to do anything anymore. And I was like, if you're saying very cranky, that does not sound like you seriously told them the extent of how bad this is. And I don't think, to be honest, even the teachers believed how bad it was. They just kept telling me... Um, that I wasn't taking the joke. I just needed to take the joke. I needed to have more of a sense of humour. Maybe he had a crush on me. <gasps> Jesus. You know? I, but, you know, I think the, wor- the worst one was 
that one you just told me about. I, you know, that I didn't even, just like, I didn't even put that in the book that because is, that up, that is so upsetting for me. It would have been awful. Yeah, it really was. It's actually the first time I've talked about it in a long time. Yeah, I mean, oh, how awful. Oh, are what? you crying? I'm crying. I'm We're both upset. crying. <laughs> I just can't believe people could be so cruel. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I didn't even put that story it's in the book awful. because um, when I was writing that chapter, I got really just like emotionally exhausted you. by it. And um, when I wrote the, the Penny, story I'm... about um, them yelling out things out at me when I was on stage and then I went to write, the next thing, which was that prank about the church service. And to me, I was like, no, this just sounds too, it's too much to, for even a person to read. I was like, it's just too awful. And so I just didn't even put that one in. I just left it out. And the fact, the fact he said that it was funny, but just don't mention my name. <gasps> oh, my God, how Jimmy. And he was the school's reverend. He was the school's moral can't, compass. I can't. That's shocking. Yep. Well, I'm a best-selling author now, so they can all eat a dick. <laughs> Let's end it there. <laughs> In the next episode... wasn't that much sex in that no not really (laughs) more more about mental health really i loved him he was lovely and it was i cannot imagine how really scary it would have been for him like i just went to uni and cracked it and i didn't understand like i was petrified i didn't understand what was wrong with my head yeah i didn't understand why I couldn't stop thinking about suicide and I couldn't stop vividly remembering all these things like from my childhood. And it was scary for me, but I can't imagine how scary it would have been for him. Like thinking, oh, I was dating Rosie and she was cool and now she's like flipped out. This is Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Recording assistance by Felix Bray. Audio production by Nick Slater. Executive producer is Jamie Show. Listener.